Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Caravan Podcast, a show about Pakistan's startup ecosystem where we have intimate conversations with founders and investors driven to catapult Pakistan into the digital age. We'll discuss what it's really like to start a business, the highs and the lows, the setbacks, the comebacks, the lessons, everything. I'm your host, as always, Ahmad Mia, partner at Caravan, a community-driven venture capital platform. Now, given the nascent ecosystem, there's a massive spread between the talent in the country and the resources that are available to support them. Our mission at Caravan is to close that gap by providing both capital and expertise at the earliest of stages. You can find more information about Caravan at www.caravan.vc. In this episode, I sit down with Rabil Waraj, the founder of Sarmayakar, an early-stage venture capital firm investing in startups in Pakistan. So without further ado, let's get straight to Rabil. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, I'm originally a Pindi boy, um, which uh, again, people might not recognize from my not wearing red trousers every time I see them. But I do come <laughs> from there and uh, had a bit of a journey through... Yeah, Cadet College Hassan Abdal initially, then for Bells for my A-levels and ended up in the U.S. at MIT. Was pursuing a year, year abroad at Oxford um, and that's how I ended up in London. Uh, all, uh, when I joined college, I was very much about physics, part of the physics team and whatnot. But then um, my orientation was always towards business and finance and so wanted to pursue a career um, towards um, in, in the finance space and uh, thought of investment banking as one of the more suitable stepping stones to what was really my ambition to end up on the buy side. And that ended up happening when I joined the Singapore Sovereign Wealth Fund. And that's really where I um, gained my experience as an investment professional. I was part of the direct investing arm within the private equity division of GIC, and we would typically make uh, large cap buyout checks, um, which were at that time a minimum size of about $200, $250 million. So very different end of the spectrum, but showed me um, what it takes for companies to also get there. And, and from an investing perspective, what are the key considerations to take into account when looking at opportunities of that sort? That's when initially my first foray into early stage investing came about. That was in the form of purchase of some shares from an early employee of Spotify and through a micro ventures platform in the US. I combined with a couple of my colleagues at GIC to do that. So that really piqued interest in earlier stage investing. And um, the realization that I always had was my competitive advantage never lay in Europe or US. It was in fact in Pakistan. Because um, when you combine um, some network presence, familiarity with the market, and are also able to speak the language of investment professionals, which uh, people are more accustomed to in more mature ecosystems, I thought that combination was something which was a little bit more differentiated in, compared to other ecosystems for me in Pakistan. 
And that then prompted me to start paying a little bit more attention to the earlier stage ecosystem in the country. This is 2012, 2013 that I'm referring to when yeah. the first wave of incubators and accelerators were getting set up in, in Pakistan, uh, starting with the Plan 9, then Nest.io, and, and really a flurry of activity around that space. But uh, at that time, it was still unclear what my own involvement with the ecosystem could be because I had been trained as an, eco, uh, as an investment professional and had a network which comprised of um, other fellow investors and also network into institutions that could potentially play a role in bringing together some of the capital that could be directed towards Pakistan. However, it was not clear that um, the opportunity was clearly specified at that point. And so I just started spending more time in Pakistan with a view to just learning about um, what the opportunity was and, and where, um, from a financing provider perspective, the gaps were. And in parallel, of course, some of these businesses that were getting established um, and going through these incubators and accelerators were either getting some traction or in most of the cases were really initial experiments that entrepreneurs were doing and were learning from, um, but coming back to try um, and have another run at it. None of the traction that we were seeing on the, on the ground was really meaningful until 3G and 4G was enabled in the country. And that's when we started seeing, at least from the traction side on the, on the specific opportunities, that they were getting um, some sort of adoption in the market and could actually benefit from capital that was directed at scaling those opportunities or, or trying to find that product market fit. So that was one area um, or gap that was identified. Um, but what was also clear was um, the lack of exposure that entrepreneurs in Pakistan had, uh, which meant that you know, very few, if any, had gone through that cycle of raising some capital, using that capital to grow the company, hiring teams, building up a larger base, then going back to the market to raise more to then scale that uh, slightly bigger business and repeat that until all the way to an exit and then hopefully um, in the next iteration, not only contribute some of that capital with they had, which they had gained, but also the expertise and, and learning that they had picked up from their first venture. And, and human because, capital as well. Correct. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so when you think about uh, like an entrepreneur that hasn't gone to this experience, then short of um, taking five, seven, ten years for that individual to learn those lessons, what are some of the other avenues through which some of that learning could be bridged? And that's where the other piece of the offering became a little bit clearer, which was um, really the value-added component that had to be accompanied with any sort of capital provision for these businesses. And uh, value-add means different things to different people, but really at its core essence, what, what it meant was a little bit of hand-holding that is required at the very earliest of stages, together with the professionalization of um, governance structures that these companies typically um, expect to have when they get to a certain stage, together with also just a, a plain um, you know, translation of what it means from an investor's perspective to be looking at and analyzing the risk associated with these opportunities in Pakistan. Because a lot yeah. of times what we've come across is that the, that comprehension is also not very clear. So the idea was, can we, can I set up a platform where 
we can not only bring together some of that risk capital, which might be available in other parts of the world and channel it towards the country, but also together with that, um, provide that initial handholding, the network that comes with having a, a, a role like this, uh, and also um, a, an avenue where uh, potential talent could be attracted to and uh, further directed towards the underlying companies that we would be trying to help in addition with capital. So that was really the genesis of Sarmayakar. And initially at that time, because there was no formalized venture capital activity in, in the country, um, setting up of a formal fund required really testing whether the opportunity was A, large enough for a formal approach, um, and B, whether the initial model that I had thought of, which was more of a syndicate of individual investors coming together, whether that was the most appropriate way to tackling that opportunity. So <clears throat> in 2016, when the first deal was announced, which was Patari, um, very quickly we were able to get a lot of deal flow. And that was, again, in some cases, if you just wave money in Pakistan, you're going to have a, a million people line up outside yeah. to try to get that. Um, but what was <clears throat> encouraging was also the fact that a lot of suppliers of capital were getting in touch and wanting to participate in what they thought was an a curated equity crowdfunding platform where they would come in and maybe contribute $1,000 or $2,000. And then <clears throat> all of a sudden across 100 or 200 such individuals, we might have like a $200,000 commitment for a seed state check into a company. Um, unfortunately, the construct could not work in that way because at that time I still had a full-time role with GIC in London and um, was doing this at that time, on the side, using my own capital and some of the uh, capital of the people in my network who had joined the syndicate. Um, but it became very clear that our own pockets um, could not extend to the, as far as what the opportunity really merited, uh, which was to actually have a formalized GPLP fund dedicated towards Pakistan, that would provide some sort of institutional support um, with like a team on the ground, but also be able to work with the companies over beyond just one stage of funding. And the idea there was that recognition of the continuum of capital and financing need that we speak of in, in the venture financing space, um, Pakistan as an ecosystem was only gradually making its way through those various stages. And even now, I feel like we're only approaching the Series B stages. We haven't yet yeah. even reached that as an ecosystem overall. So the idea was, can Samayakar play a role from the Series C through to Series A and B stages in supporting these entrepreneurs, both through um, whatever experience we had um, of either investing in a similar space or having backed other entrepreneurs or companies, and together with also being able to interpret um, how Pakistan is being viewed by the global investing community uh, in terms of both the opportunity it offers um, and also the risk and how best those need to be managed. So that's how so changing that came <clears throat> So basically what you're saying is you're changing that narrative of Pakistan or help changing that narrative of Pakistan and, bringing, and becoming a bridge to bringing more money as well into Pakistan, correct? I, I think that's a very uh, a good way of capturing this. I think there's two key elements. One is um, our aim is to be that bridge builder, um, like I said, not only of risk capital, but also of 
best practices and domain expertise coming into the country. And part of the reason why this gap exists is because we didn't benefit from that return of the successful diaspora like India did or Nigeria did or Indonesia did uh, for well, a number of different reasons. But uh, for we, what we didn't have were some of those successful people come back with their capital and expertise. Now, absolutely, given that gap, it requires entities or setups similar to us or in similar nature to our fund, which can at least provide this bridge building function. So, so that's a, a, a very important kind of like, you know, component uh, of, of what we're looking to kind of uh, do here. What we're also looking to do is you know, perhaps introduce something which is not very common in Pakistan. Um, since independence, we've been taught a very monopolistic approach to capital. Uh, even in our Pakistan studies books, at independence, we had 22 families who controlled majority of the wealth. And, um, and that has then continued to be a very much um, a mindset which is driven by investing in assets, in companies, um, whereas venture is, in fact, investing in people. And, and I think sure. that mindset, that difference of, of being able to take a call and back people to build something great, which is going to happen in the future, is not something that was formally approached or even recognized in Pakistan. And I think that's yeah. really something that at least I consider to be our most important um, role here, which is um, to get people to back other individuals to do great things. The same way a lot of these investors that have backed our fund have backed us to find those opportunities and to work with them and hopefully help them become iconic companies. That's awesome. And I completely agree with you. Like that kind of understanding needs to happen in any ecosystem for the ecosystem to just to thrive, uh, for companies to thrive, rather than going on and getting majority stake in, in companies and having that mentality. You need to think about people for sure. Now, if you could tell me a little bit about the fundraising process and how that understanding has evolved, if your LPs are external or if your LPs are from Pakistan itself, how do you how do you see that conversation kind of evolve over time? Well, that's a great question and also not one with an easy answer. Um, sometimes I joke um, that maybe the second hardest fund to raise was was ours after uh, a venture capital fund that was raised for Palestine. Um, and the reason for that I, <clears throat> is, is really like, you know, again, the, the stacking of the risk when one, when one is talking about venture capital in Pakistan. I mean, you appreciate this better than I do, but every asset class has its own risk considerations and um, venture capital as an asset class is really the riskiest of the ones that yeah. are available. And then within that, if you think about um, what are the ecosystem specific risks um, over there, again, Pakistan is trailing most other ecosystems, uh, even though the underlying opportunity largely dictated by the demographic is quite an attractive one. However, we are not there yet. And, and each element that makes up that ecosystem has some risk associated, be it availability of financing, be it availability or of appropriate policies and regulatory backing, um, whether it's infrastructure, um, just simple in the case of Pakistan, even matters such as bringing money into the country or leaving. And I think that's difficult. when... 
Correct. And, and when you aggregate all of these risks, um, it, it presents an, um, to an investor an opportunity to generate a return with, of course, a certain level of risk, which needs to be then compared to other such uh, opportunities. And, and I think that's where um, absent some sort of an angle that uh, also makes it worthwhile for those particular investors to consider Pakistan, um, it becomes uh, quite an uphill task to convince people to back what is still a blind pool fund, effectively, where myself and my partner would be directing where that capital goes. Now, in, where does this become easier? Um, it becomes easier where we are dealing with institutional investors, which have a development yeah. orientation to them because they are looking to also develop the ecosystem in Pakistan and, and also generate attractive returns. I would put um, IFC, which is IFC part of the World Bank, of CDC, FMO, ADB. Um, these are all of a similar nature where they do have an interest in seeing one of the countries that is part of their mandate develop an active and thriving ecosystem around venture financing. Another avenue that um, has worked is in cases where um, for various reasons in international investors are looking at the next upcoming emerging market frontier market or any opportunity which has maybe with a higher risk a, a higher return potential as well and and what they would do is effectively as part of an overall allocation strategy for the fund maybe have like a side pocket which potentially could generate a kicker for them um, that yeah. avenue has resulted in a few family offices coming together um, for our fund as well. But those were, again, driven by partly my partner being already known in those circles and having invested with those um, uh, investors prior, previously. Because all of this business of fund management and investing is really based around trust. Um, so so that's which, which brings me to the third element, which has actually been a very interesting learning for us. Um, perhaps the first people to back you and also the first people to not back you will be Pakistanis. Uh, because <laughs> in some cases, they have either had an experience which has uh, gone awry and are not willing to um, undertake a, a risky endeavor or um, venture in the country. This category tends to be the one which is largely... Uh, made up of Pakistanis in the diaspora. And because they found better opportunities outside, um, there might still be some connotation of things not being perfect in the country. Yeah. However, from within that group is also a very supportive bunch um, who have backed us. And these are people who actually have been very successful wherever they have ended up. And for one reason or another, cannot wrap it all up and move back to the country and start afresh. But with that said, they still want to see Pakistan do well. They want to, in fact, see some of the entrepreneurs, the youths, get the opportunity and potentially benefit from some of the opportunities they had but are not easily provided in the country. And in those cases, um, they have, again, seen our fund as a potential channel to both avenue some of their capital and also in a select basis, um, also their time, because what involvement through the fund does is it doesn't make them in parallel go out there and try to market for deal flow 
and yeah. then go through all of that kind of like deluge of opportunities to identify maybe a handful that they would want to either invest in or be involved in. So that has in some cases worked out for us as well, where we've been able to, again, aggregate some of that uh, interest and channel it through the fund. Um, but uh, by and large, the journey of fundraising um, has very few um, happy tales <laughs> and a lot of um, a lot of learnings, if I may put it. In a See, the and, reason why I ask this question is because I need people to understand how difficult of a process this is. Like entrepreneurs or, 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 or individuals who want to raise money think that it's a very easy job to get capital and then just like put a check out there. But it's so much in terms of understanding of what kind of investors, what your long-term strategy is, how are you going to put follow-on funding dollars on the side, where are your LPs going to come from, all of this stuff that you've just mentioned, how important and how much of a job and a cumbersome job that is. <clears throat> Ahmad, I've been maybe waiting for this opportunity to be able to share. Just fundraising by itself is a full-time job. Yeah. And I'm talking about in the form of a fund, when we have to go out and raise funding, that by itself is a full-time job. In fact, more established funds will have full-time divisions that are entirely dedicated to fundraising and uh, LP engagement, following mm -hmm. up, etc. We, of course, do not have the luxury of doing that because uh, for all of the funds that are active in Pakistan, we are still relatively small and everything needs to be made sense of within that kind of smaller scale. Um, however, uh, it is something which requires uh, both consideration of what would be uh, the primary kind of investing motives of the investors one is approaching, then solving for the structural considerations and every yeah. institution, every type of investor has their own considerations, then um, managing of it all, um, having working with fund administrators, um, uh, putting in place appropriate documentation, uh, the requisite approvals that even allow one to operate or function as a fund manager, which is, again, an investment collective um, collection scheme or like, you know, paradigm, uh, which does involve people trusting um, other people with their capital uh, and a regulated activity. All of this requires uh, attention, effort and time even before a single check could be written out to a startup. Completely. Um, and, and, and I think that is something which does not always get recognized um, and, and, uh, or even appreciated because um, the way capital flows also work um, is, uh, requires us to at all times be maintaining such interaction with them and to ensure that also liquidity um, does not get constrained at any given point because we're both looking at supporting existing portfolio, but also backing new opportunities while raising our own funding and making sure that everything that has been invested in and the portfolio that has been constructed continues to be monitored and managed um, because that is effectively what we're being paid for by our investors as well. Completely. Um, Rabil, stepping onto the front end of this, what are some challenges that you face every day as an investor now? Great question again. Um, Ahmad, I would say as an investor in Pakistan, there are two sets of uh, really questions that um, come up almost on a daily basis. One is 
um, or challenges, if I may put. One challenge is the unpredictability of where a fire will emerge within the portfolio. Um, and, and the reason I share that is it's hard to build a business anywhere. Um, in Pakistan, it is even tougher because just some of the base challenges to execution are higher than what you would experience in other places. Things move a little bit slower. Um, and so it also makes it a little bit more difficult for, for us to predict where there might be a fire to put out um, or where there might be delays which might need for example, a big chunk of that day to be devoted towards trying to address that. So that just makes it a little bit more difficult to plan. Um, and of course, uh, the second order effect is uh, it takes away time, which might be spent either um, looking at new opportunities or another one where the return on that time spent might be higher. But we don't always get to choose that because uh, it can't be planned in advance. So that is one of the challenges. Um, the other challenge that we continue to see is that um, even though there has been a tremendous change most entrepreneurs have in Pakistan, um, that exposure is still somewhat limited, uh, partly because the ecosystem hasn't gone through that full cycle yet, uh, partly because um, a lot of those uh, successful uh, diaspora uh, Pakistanis, uh, like I said, did not come back. Um, it's starting to happen. It's starting to trickle in, but uh, there is still a gap. So what you would expect in a situation in another ecosystem, a founder to be able to pick up from uh, speaking to other entrepreneurs or other stakeholders in the ecosystem, we feel that uh, more and more um, we're having to spend uh, actually a lot more time with each of our portfolio companies to also plug gaps that the ecosystem has, uh, which again goes back to the same consideration around um, a more exposed entrepreneur, a more like someone who has gone through the cycle would just be better prepared, better equipped um, for taking their company to uh, some sort of success. And the moment we have to step in or, or try to bring some of those learnings um, it, it is something that uh, we need to kind of like, you know, do uh, spend a lot of time on. And um, that, again, is just like a consideration of where that time um, could alternatively be spent. Um, the last uh, challenge I would say is that regardless of what any investor does in Pakistan or however good a job of portfolio construction is being done, there remain um, tied to Pakistan some of these macro considerations which can in a, a, a short swoop kind of like, you know, take away a lot of interest from these uh, institutions or international investors that might be looking at Pakistan. Um, I don't want to jump ahead and already mention that there will be some impact similar to that tied to COVID. But given how risk works all over the world and um, in scenarios in which there is a risk off mode, um, Pakistan, venture capital, and funding being directed towards that would probably not rank very high um, on the uh, like, you know, priorities of individuals or investors that are looking to deploy, um, particularly so if they don't have already a, a connection with Pakistan or a favorable opinion of the opportunity in Pakistan. 
So that, of course, also remains outside of one's control, but um, is a risk that needs to be managed. But uh, in terms of the opportunity within the country, I would say really the founder expertise and like, you know, that exposure um, is the main challenge that remains. Nice. Now, what are some of the companies and industries that you're most excited about within Pakistan? So this is, uh, this is also evolving quite quickly given COVID. Uh, I think there, our focus from the beginning has been on making sure that unit economics are looked at from day one. Yeah. Part of the reason for that is we don't believe that financing will be so freely available for all startups in Pakistan. So any expectation of a plug uh, being made by a venture capitalist or financing provider for operations that continue to run loss in losses for extended periods of time is probably not a strategy that um, will work in Pakistan. So we, we um, immediately have um, a lower priority for business models that require a lot of um, either starting cash capital or are just um, like require sustained cash burn to capture some sort of meaningful market share, or even um, at this stage, anything that requires spend for category creation. Um, because we feel that the spend and the infrastructure uh, um, that needs to be put in place to get people to be aware about a new offering and then be a best position to become the vertical leader within that um, is something which we cannot um, just plan for with our own uh, funds funding available. Um, And we need to then take into account the broader ecosystem progress for those considerations as well. So they're just a little bit lower priority. But to answer your question specifically, I think there are some spaces which remain very interesting in Pakistan. And uh, to as far as we can gather, have not been, the proposition has not been altered because of COVID. I would put broadly the the fintech space um, uh, as one of those. Even though within fintech there are subsegments, some of which are more interesting um, than others. But the reason why I highlight fintech is because I don't feel that Pakistan has yet had really um, someone crack. Um, what the opportunities are around this space. I think there have been some specific uh, opportunities around domestic remittance that Easy Pesa or Jazz Cash might have done a reasonable job in, but that is just one tiny sliver of what we consider to be a very big opportunity overall. Um, in other sectors, I think um, we, we, will, we continue to see opportunity um, around logistics as well, uh, even though um, when slightly wearing away from the traditional ride-hailing kind of markets, uh, because even given the lack of public transport in Pakistan or lack of alternatives, um, the fundamentals or the unit economics of that space were not um, attractive in our minds um, to allow for, again, um, multiple new startups to come up and be able to sustain themselves while you had like, you know, the larger Kareem's and Ubers still around. But outside of that space, logistics, I think, still offers um, uh, optimization and efficiency gains opportunities. So um, we're active in that space as well. Um, If you were to then uh, go beyond and apply 
um, a, a framework of which of the traditional sectors have been digitized or um, still remain to be digitized, I think by and large, most of the spaces in Pakistan are still up for grabs. Uh, other than um, you know, generalized e-commerce or maybe real estate tech, uh, i.e. Daraz and Zameen, other than that, mm-hmm. most of the spaces uh, still remain um, up for grabs and for like, you know, at least for category leadership, whether when one looks at the health tech space, certainly the ed tech space, um, I mentioned again, like, you know, logistics and whatever variants of it, fintech can have within it in short tech, even like legal tech, reg tech, we haven't had payments even um, processed. Um, but properly, it cash to digital digitization, international transfers. Um, just to illustrate a point, uh, if someone truly cracks the Middle East to Pakistan remittance channel, just that one that, channel. It's huge. It's huge. Like, I think there's easily a $100 million company just doing that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so I think it's, it's really a case of the surface being scratched right now. Uh, I think it's like it's easier to answer the question by saying what has been done, which is not much, and everything else that remains is really part of this wave to digitize in the next decade uh, the rest of Pakistan, which isn't currently digitized. And I think all of that has been accelerated by by COVID. By COVID, for sure. And uh, we share the exact same thesis where there's so much to be done in Pakistan. Um, Last question for you, Rabiel. I know that you're busy. If you could just describe three of the most important lessons that you've learned in your journey so far. Oh, wow. That's a very, very good question, but it does put me a little bit on the spot. Um, I would say uh, one important lesson for me when this journey was starting uh, off Samayakar um, was whether to move back or not. And I think um, one lesson there was that um, everyone has their own framework of deciding what is important to them and what's not. And uh, without trying and uh, without having conviction in what you're trying to do, uh, it is almost impossible to find out. And uh, I think uh, where there is uh, some sort of a framework to figure out like what is there to be gained versus lost. I think more people and more Pakistanis that are sitting outside Pakistan would actually come to that realization that um, they could potentially gain more um, by coming back. And, and that whole um, uh, is really like you know in the Kahavat. Um, there's yeah. um, not many things like your own place and, and uh, the opportunity to make impact in your own country. I think there are not many things that compete with that. So that was um, one aspect, um, that one key learning. The second key uh, learning is actually that you have to be the one that is actually putting in place um, all of these things and and are the one that is leading the charge before anyone else follows you. And I think that uh, was reflected in the way that we were able to raise our fund um, in that uh, we first had to put our own money. Um, I could not seriously have a conversation with investors about backing me for a fund dedicated to Pakistan unless 
I had moved also to Pakistan. I'm I'm sorry about that. That's not funny. <laughs> no way. <laughs> this is what we're all do going through, right? We're working from home. So there all, you go. All things it's come up. BBC dad moment, huh? Um, so <laughs> yeah, so I think that that was really the second um, uh, second key learning that um, there was no playbook for this. There was no. Uh, um like example of if this is the step you do after these steps then you will end up with a fund for pakistan and while that of course makes it incredibly difficult uh, it was also a, a, a key driving factor for me um, which was that if you can make a dent and and be that tip of the spear um then um, then th- that should be tried and and i like you know knowing myself that was perhaps the main reason why i wanted to kind of like you know give it a shot as well um the last thing i want to share uh, which is more for um, like entrepreneurs um, is that it is not easy um for anyone to kind of like you know build a business and there are many many different things that go into building a business with the one certainly being there that there might be a doubt every single day of that journey whether one gets there or not and if the entire determination of the success of that is going to be based on a certain exit outcome or a certain um, defined outcome which is only taking into account one aspect um that is unlikely to succeed because uh, particularly in a place like pakistan one needs to be adaptable one needs to be cognizant of what are sometimes um opposite poles um uh, or conflicting uh, interests uh, and one needs to manage a lot of them at the same time while at the same time staying true to principles and this ambition of building something great which hopefully will not only lead to wealth generation but also could potentially become a legacy for for the people who are building it and and it just takes a tremendous amount of determination to stay true to that course um which is very very difficult in pakistan and and when we look at other segments of our society uh, i don't want to highlight politicians but certainly politicians that's where the the in pakistan easier paths come up and uh, whenever uh, an entrepreneur chooses an easier path it more likely than not results in um, the outcome not being as successful as originally planned and uh, whenever we have to face that because we are one uh, order removed from these opportunities that's really where the the breaking of that trust or that relationship starts to happen so if there's anything i can suggest uh, to entrepreneurs is um just stay true to course and and make sure that you get help where it's required to for you to stay on to that course rather than compromise on what the original vision principles or mission was thank you so much for listening if you guys have any comments your feedback please do send them my way mera direct email address hai amad@caravan.vc warna aap hamare bare mein aur information hasil kar sakte hain on our website which is www.caravan.vc or on instagram 
Um, our handle is at caravan.vc. Until next time, Khudafiz. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 